Hello and welcome to Paddock Chat, a West Midlands group podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. Each episode, we delve into topics on the farming horizon and help you in the search for the answers needed to confidently navigate the future ahead. So let's dive into today's episode. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on the information provided in this podcast. Today joining us is National Wild Dog Management Coordinator Greg Nifson from the Centre for Invasive Species Solutions. And also joining us today is Paul Pataro, who is the lead LPMT from Vertebrae Pest Management. So welcome, you two. Thank you very much for joining us. No worries. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So I'll dive into some intro questions. Greg, first, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came into this role? <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, look, I'm a, actually an ecologist by trade. I worked on endangered marsupials for my master's years ago and was involved in um, threatened species management, of which at that time, feral cats and foxes were the primary predator that was causing fair few impacts. And through that, I got involved in predator management, got caught up in, in wild dog control, working for New South Wales Parks in the Snowy Mountains. From there, I've sort of been caught in that pest management, native fauna, primary production loop. Hence, working on dogs at Jindabyne led me to this five or six years later and been involved in wild dog management and supporting dog control ever since. Wow. So you know your stuff. I'd like to think so. Or should do, Why yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. Paul, uh, on that same level, can you introduce yourself and how you came to be in your role? Yeah, sure. Thanks. I'm a licensed pest management technician with the uh, Midlands Biosecurity Group. Got into it enjoying pest control years back, saving the native species and that in that respect there, which led me into the dog space. And then a few years doing some work up in the pastoral regions with wild dog control and then landed me in the ag region with the Midlands. And I've been there ever since. Getting into things, why is wild dog and fox control so important to our livestock industry in Australia? From a production point of view, foxes and dogs can really undercut the bottom line. I guess from a, a dog management perspective, which probably differs from both foxes and, and even feral pigs, that both prey on younger lambs. There's a very small window, I guess, of opportunity for them to prey on lambs, whereas with dogs, they'll prey, attack and, and kill all age classes of, of sheep and small livestock. And I think that's where the devastation and debilitation of the issue really comes in from a grower perspective. It's it's really hard to protect all of your stock from dog predation. It's probably easier to prepare and, and control foxes leading into landing, but dogs will just keep coming back time and time again. And that's why we see people basically being forced out of sheep because they simply can't, you know, stop them killing all of their age classes for desperation land island space in the central Midlands when dogs are in amongst their stock. Very much so. And I guess if you've done a bit of work further north as well, Paul, I guess there's been a lot of wild dog action quite a few years up Gascoigne sort of and inland a bit from there. Yeah, that's right. They seem to be copying the brunt of it, so to speak. They have the biggest populations up there compared to us in the ag region. And there's some significant differences between between their sort of country and ours down here. For us, it's the intensive farming, the smaller landholders in the ag region and 
and trying to protect what's left. We have seen a bit of a shift into the more cropping enterprise rather than the stock. So we're, we're really trying to protect that sort of asset down here, that livestock. You've sort of got opposites from the pastoral regions where you don't have a lot of producers, but lots of livestock in large areas. And then you come into the Midlands, you've got smaller properties, more people to deal with, probably not quite as many stock, but the, the dog issues are just as high when they get into those high value areas, particularly you know inside that the ag areas where you've got small blocks of timbered country. You've got greater capacity for dogs to sort of move in and out of um, unoccupied lands, you know, uncleared forested areas, which then gives them access to much more, a greater number of properties. And so uh, unlike outside the fence where your pastoral properties are huge and the dogs are probably residing on your place and you're trying to manage them. Okay. And so how do we know what to look for when it comes to understanding dog and fox movement on our property? I'll start on our side. I guess for us is signs. Stock behaviour um, is a big one for us in the region. So most of our, our small lot holders there would have a bit of stock. So stock behaviour, trying to look for tracks um, on on the sand, you know, up their fence lines and things. Dogs will take path of least resistance, so to speak. Nice sandy sort of track. So they'll generally walk up there. You'll see their prints a lot lot easier in the sand. Mainly it would be their stock. So whether they'd be, they're agitated, whether the fences have been pushed over very flighty when they're generally not so things like that some of the native animals do get a bit flighty as well when when dogs are around you know their predation on the natives so a little bit on your native side of things yeah yeah certainly like we've done a lot of work nationally to bring people up to speed with what to look for particularly in areas like the midlands where dogs have not a consistent historic problem so footprints dogs are creatures of habit they use the same pathways and corridors time and time again and even when they're not born there they seem to just get on the same pathway so you know, dry creek beds, gully rakers that go under fences, crossing your roads. Agitated stock is a classic. So if your, your sheep particularly are behaving in a really agitated manner, particularly around your working dogs, because they're not the brightest thing, so they'll respond to the same way to a working dog as they will a, a wild dog. So if your sheep are behaving much more erratically in the yards around your working dogs, it's a really good sign. And certainly from a native animal perspective, you know, if you've got wallabies and roos that are consistently in, in one part of your property and all of a sudden they've just disappeared and are not coming back for a couple of days or a week, the odds are that there's probably a, a larger predator in the system there that they don't have to sit inside your fence, they'll get up and they'll get going. So there's some really good ways to look at it, particularly around water points, you'll look for some science and activity and crows an unfortunate thing about it is that you know if you've got dogs attacking stock and, and killing sheep um, you'll often find those scavengers are floating around and, and feeding, you know looking for carcasses so if you do notice a lot of crows in areas of the paddocks that you're not expecting them to be or you know a bit of timber or a bit of low-lying scrub go and investigate because their crows are a good indication that something's been killed in that landscape Yep. And so what is the best action if a wild dog is spotted on someone's property what should they be doing look reporting is really important as we discussed earlier, you know, dogs are highly mobile. So a dog that's killing on your place today could be on the neighbours tomorrow and, and halfway to God knows where by the next day. So if, if we don't get those reports quickly, then we just don't know that there's an issue there and it, it takes us too long to react. Basically, um, the easiest one for our landholders is feral scan. All they have to do is jump on and rec- record where the um, the sighting was or, or the activity that took place. For us working in the ag region, we've got a lot more contact with our landholders. So we always try and emphasise just get on the phone whether it be a phone call or a text message and just say we've seen this or had this happen it is frustrating in our area because like greg said dogs will wander pretty quickly and i can cross three or four or five properties quite easily without anyone knowing and by the time we hear about it so to follow up on that when you're dealing with a lot of little land holdings a lot of crown tenure it does make it very hard for us to follow a dog 
And now if we get on to baiting, how can people best bait? Best time of year, location, and where can they find or where can they purchase baits? For us in the Midlands, we try and emphasise to bait all year round. There's always going to be dogs and foxes around. A lot of people put emphasis through lambing or prior to lambing, a month out of lambing. Yes, sure, that's a good time to do it. But also at the same time, it doesn't take much out of your day to do a bit of baiting, whether it be once a fortnight or once a month. We emphasise go all year round. If you want to go a bit harder during your lambing, yep. Go for your life. Baits for our landholders are free. We produce the baits. So the Midlands supplies the baits. The LPMTs like myself inject them. Um, and they're made readily available through our freezer network, spread out through the seven shires of the Midlands. So all they have to do is get in contact with one of the LPMTs or where the, um, the freezer is stored um, and they'll have access to baits. And that's free of charge as a service through the Midlands. There's a real misconception that to get effective control, you need lots and lots of bait. And in your neck of the woods where the properties aren't that big, you're better off with a small number of baits at known locations. And we've talked about those areas where you see activity. Tying baits with wire, just you know, loosely tied baits with wire to those locations gives a bit more security about where the baits are and where they go. And if you put a you know an ear tag or a marker, a bit of flagging tape, wherever that might be, then you know that if there's a flagging tape or an ear tag on a tree that looks a bit random, to someone that doesn't work on the place or live on the place and they know what's going on. Building those bait runs into your, your water runs or some other form of, of on-farm management, it's an extra half hour, you know, 20 minutes to your day to check the baits as you're doing your general maintenance. And Paul's, you know, hit the nail on the head that dogs are always in that landscape. It doesn't hurt, it doesn't cost you to put the baits out and keep it on top of it. And the other thing is that foxes will pick up lots of bait. So if you've got high densities of foxes, on your place and you do have a stop attack, it can take a long time to wade through all those boxes before you get the dog. And that's a real issue as well. So I've worked with dog controllers and dog trappers for years and that, that is one of the biggest frustrations that you can spend half a day trying to find out where to put a trap and you catch a stinking fox in it the next day and, and the dog just keeps on going. It's a really important aspect of farm management to keep those boxes at low densities and having some form of control in place for dogs when they, if they do arrive. That's a really, really good point. And I know a lot of people would then start worrying about their working dogs getting to those baits. Have you got any kind of tips and tricks? I know that putting them in, in known spots is one of them, but have you got any other kind of recommendations? Yeah, look, certainly, as I said, tying them, if you can, just with wire, just gives them that security so you know where the baits are. But, you know, we're really pushing people to try and get their dogs used to working with muzzles. Risk of working dogs is probably one of the biggest reasons we get people that won't participate. Dog muscles aren't that expensive. 20-odd bucks at Elders will get you a wire muscle that the dogs can work in all day. They don't overheat. They can drink with it. They get used to them as well. Like We've got puppies in Western Queensland now where the dogs look at you strangely if you haven't got the muscle to put them. So first thing to do is put their paws up on the tank of the motorbike, wait for the muscle to go on, and then they're off and running. We do have ejector devices as well that people can use. That gives you just that little bit extra added security in terms of where they are. And as I say, if you know where they are, we do have people, probably plenty of plow discs in your neck of the woods, but I know guys over Queensland, if they're going to go and muster a paddock where they've got buried baits, they just drop a plow disc on top of that bait while the dog's working in the paddock, and then they chain him up and they run past and pick up the disc on the way out. We do push the um, the CPEs or the can of pest ejectors a fair bit through the Midlands and we've had some good results on them and um, some farmers that won't use anything but the um, CPEs yeah. on their sites now. They're great. You can put them out in the night time. 
if you're working your dog in that um, in that particular paddock, you can go and pull the, the heads off, the ejector heads off, um, and know that it's totally safe, free of baits in that area. Farmers can rest assured that they can just let their dogs dogs run and work their stock as they need to. So they're a great asset to have. Um, we also have them available through the Midlands for our landholders to use. There's strategies and booklets and guides for baiting programs, got videos on the kind of pest ejectors. So there's plenty of resources out there. I'm sure you can access through the high security associations. And if you need any extra linkages, we're happy to provide those so people can, you know, see what Paul and I are talking about and get a bit of an idea of how they might be able to utilize it and then um, use Paul's skills to help them set stuff up. Definitely. Yeah, we'll have to add some of those notes into the show notes of the podcast. In the next few weeks, there's going to be some Khaleesi and some general yeah. um, rabbit baiting um, happening. In the okay, area. and will the Khaleesi virus being spread change any of your recommendations for baiting? Like, is this the time to really get on top yeah. of it? Yeah, so, so what we talked about the other day is something that came up actually when I was at Perondry or Porter a few years ago. You know, annually, we have you know myxomatosis and Khaleesi virus go through naturally and get spread as part of programs. But for those foxes and to a certain extent dogs out there that are relying heavily on rabbits as their main prey, they lose that prey in a couple of weeks. And once Khaleesi goes through, it, it wipes out a population and a complete food source. So it's a great opportunity then to take advantage of that situation and put baits out on the properties. Uh, and pick up as many of those boxes as you can because they'll be scrounging around trying to scavenge whatever they can and, and find whatever they can to feed on. And they are natural scavengers. So if you've got freshly made meat baits or dry meat baits provided by the biosecurity group, then, you know, there's a real opportunity there to, to wipe out a lot of foxes in a short space of time with limited effort purely because of your other control activities for another pest species. So are those foxes in your neck of the woods relying heavily on some of those big populations of rabbits? Yeah, we do, Greg. Yeah, definitely. You can see it all the time in those areas where it's heavily uh, populated with the rabbits, big fox populations, and you'll generally see the foxes around too. That's an excellent point to, to do the follow-up baiting in those times as well. Should people be extra vigilant um, around that time? Because I guess if those wild animals are hungry, they're going to be coming and possibly being a bit more brave around around stock? I think, yeah, 100%. The chances are that if you've got some baits out at that time when the when the numbers of rabbits are, are low, there's better chances that a, a fox or a dog will take a bait. Now, if you're running Khaleesi virus now, you know, not doing fox control, you're possibly setting yourselves up for a really high predation rate. So it's something to keep in mind. Just getting a few things like that into a 12-month cycle makes it a lot easier for people to get stuff done. Definitely. Is that relatively widely known when Khaleesi virus is usually released? For us in the in the ag region, um, Aaron, the Midlands send out the emails with the circular to make people aware of when we're going to do it and also best times of the year to release the virus and when not to release the virus. Mm. So to speak. That's always some, something people have got to keep in mind when not to do it. Across the nation, I'm sure it's sort of varied a little bit um, when it's done. Um, for us, this is a great time to do it and follow it up with some other baiting. And how can people band together to better solve the issue of feral animals? I mean, that's something... I've been working on for a lot of a lot of years now. Because dogs are highly mobile, as we've discussed, trying to get as many producers, neighbouring properties to do a small amount of control at the same time is really important. There's nothing worse than having a, a sink, we call it, where there's no control and dogs can go back and reside in that spot in relative safety and then in, in emanate from there and cause problems. So getting people within the Midlands group to try and work collectively and, and do a bit of control at the same time. Uh, certainly helps. Foxes will move too, like juveniles will disperse. They're much more sedentary and, and have much more smaller home ranges than dogs, but 
they occur in much bird density. So by doing some control all year round, you know, you're getting rid of the, the resonance that you've got and then you've also got control in place to take out the ones that are going to migrate and disperse back in. So if you've got more people working together doing a small amount of control at the same time, then that capacity to disperse means it goes further and further out from where you are, which means, you know, you could have 10 or 20 or 30 kilometres of vacant territory before there's the first fox because everyone's had to go and, and you've just cleaned out a big area. So it is really important. And I know I know it's tough in ag areas where you've got people who don't have livestock but would certainly have habitat and the environment to support predators. So getting them to do a little bit and understand the necessity to be part of a program is really important. We have a lot of crop only landholders mm-hmm. and it's that poor little man in the middle that suffers, the guy that's got a little bit of stock left and he's always the one left to, to pick up the pieces, so to speak. And from that crop only enterprise, we find that there's a lot of absentee farmers. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. land, you know, tens of thousands of acres that hasn't got anyone on stock day and night for, for long periods of time. So predators can find it pretty easy picking through that area. And, and like we said, the man in the middle with, you know, a few sheep left, um, he's going Pays to cook for it. it. So trying to get the neighbours to talk, we, we do get a few emails out. We do hold workshops. We're still going through those process of getting everyone to communicate. And I think that's why it's so important to get people, one, familiar with the signs, particularly of dogs, because they're not likely to have them all the time. As Paul highlighted, doing small amounts of baiting on a much more regular basis gives you that security that those unoccupied areas of cropland next door do harbour foxes in particular, that there's some control on your property at all times to try and manage for those. So particularly leading up to your seasonal uh, lambing periods because that's really when you know, you're going to see the losses, keeping an eye on signs of dogs and doing control on a regular basis. And like I said, it doesn't have to be a lot. It's the misconception that you need thousands of bait out to get the job done. In fact, you're probably better off putting out fewer bait in known locations and replacing them as they go until they stop going because effectively once they stop going, the population has been reduced to extremely low levels, if not completely removed at all. Yeah. Wonderful. Are there any other points you either of you would like to get across? I've got one. It's about integrated management. And I think that's something that I wanted to highlight. No one single control tool is going to manage your entire population of a predator species. So that's why we talk about pest ejectors, bait, traps and shooting. I mean, I'm not discounting shooting, but it is fairly opportunistic. Thermal imaging has, has increased that, made less opportunistic and a, a little bit more strategic small amounts of multiple tools throughout the year to get as many of the population as you can rather than just taking out the doom surplus as we call it or a small percentage here and there. Uh, anything else from you Paul? Look I just I guess I'm just going to drive home that importance of having um, reporting when when attacks mm. happen in our area. We're here to help and assist the landholders progress in a way. We want them to take care of their their pests, um, which at the end of the day is going to see um, value of their properties and and their stock increase. So we're here to help. We're not some crazed organisation that's going to um, come at you for some reason for not doing your job. No, we're, we're totally the opposite. Where we're just yeah. you know the average you and I that can that can have a chat and tell you how to do things and better manage things in that regard. So mm. talking to us and just having that um, initial reporting straight away um, is what I want to drive home because that's that's how things will happen. That's how the changes will get made by us knowing what's going on and being able to hit that issue at the time. Policy the nail on the head, report it as soon as you can, let the pest controllers know that they're around, get onto it quickly because two dogs turns into 12 dogs, turns into 24 dogs really quickly. We do still have a huge number of livestock in the area and no one wants to see that happen, especially with the price of price of animals 
exactly. the last couple of years. That's probably a really good point. The cost-benefit return, particularly for foxes, if the baits have been provided by the, the Midlands Group for free, you're already using diesel to check your waters and, and, and stock and fence lines. That extra hour to put out baits and check baits when you're looking at the cost of lambs at the moment, one or two percent increase in lamb production because you've removed boxes of lambing is a significant return on investment. That's probably a good note to finish on. You know, if it's about making money, managing predators will, will just definitely help you out with that. Definitely. Well, thank you, Paul and Greg, for jumping on today. That was a really, really good discussion. Thank you very yeah. much for giving your time to us today. Thanks for listening to this episode. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do. For more information, including how to become a member, visit our website where you can sign up at any time. Links can be found in the show notes. See you next time for some more paddock chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.